like the like the lifeboat sort of like little tiny things where it's just like you're there by yourself and you could follow it in any second. Those ones don't make any sense to me. Welcome to Keep It Fictional, a weekly podcast for book lovers by book lovers. Build your to-be-read list with Sadie, Liz, Virginia, Fiona, and Corrine from the Port Moody Public Library. Warning, this podcast contains strong opinions and may cause an increase in your library holds list. Welcome listeners to another episode of Keep It Fictional. Do you crave the salt air in your lungs or the wind in your sails? The crashing of the waves, perhaps, or the clashing of cutlasses? Today on our episode, we'll each be discussing a book about adventures at sea. Now, we haven't explicitly stated this, but where there's ships, there's prizes to be won. And that just might bring pirates. So uh, many of our books today may involve pirates. Treasure Island, I think, is really the seminal pirate book that many other books draw from and many wonderful adaptations draw from, as we all know. Muppets! (laughs) Especially the Muppets. That's really what you want to say, Muppets. (laughs) It's true, it's true. But there's also many, well, first of all, Treasure Island is is uh, where we draw a lot of our pirate knowledge from, but it's fairly inaccurate. <laughs> and then, of course, we have all sorts of, of, of non-piratey books about the ocean. It's a pretty long history of, of books going back to that. And I found in my looking for books that many of them were sort of old hat. Like, you know, I didn't want to read The Old Man in the Sea. I didn't want to read Moby Dick. Seems like Life of Pi is like the contemporary at sea novel. So I'm very excited to to see if my book friends were able to find sort of a mat- modern interpretation uh, because I did not ultimately go with that. So <laughs> we're going to go to Virginia first. Virginia, tell us of your tales of the sea. All right. I feel like I might be the only one who actually has a modern book. <laughs> Maybe? Uh, We'll see. So Sea Adventures is really not my thing. So whenever I have to find a book for a topic that I don't tend to read, I usually ask myself two questions. One, can this happen in space? And two, and two, can I magical realism this thing? And that's kind of what I did today because even though space pirates are decidedly a thing, I wanted to honor the sea portion of the theme today. So I went with sort of the later. So I have for you today a magical realism tale from Kenya. Aisha's father, Ali, didn't come home last night. That is not too unusual. And Aisha knows if that happens, she goes to stay with her grandmother, Hababa. But then he didn't come home the night after either. And people start to worry. People start to come to her grandmother's house, offering condolences. People start to look at her with eyes full of pity. Because they all know Aisha's father, Ali, is a foolish man. He is a foolish fisherman that will take his boat to where he does not belong, to where he should never go, that Ali sometimes forget the power of the sea, that there are things in there that will devour you, and that he will go into places and not respect that unwritten rules, that there are areas that you don't venture into. But Aisha 
knows, or at least she doesn't want to admit that her father is gone. And she has five days to look for her father before they will declare him dead. What can Aisha do? She doesn't have a boat. She doesn't have the skills to steer a boat, even if she has one. And she remembers her father used to take her out to sea and her father will say, okay, Aisha, pay attention now. And she'll watch her father does his thing. And his father is so good with his boat. But she remembers that one time when she was watching him, he looks up and saw Aisha watching and he turns away immediately. But before that, Aisha saw, saw that look of disappointment. From that look, she can tell that her father knows that she's not quite what he expected, that somehow she hasn't met those expectations. And maybe that's why after a while, he stopped taking her out to see with him. But Aisha has to find a way to find her father. There's no body. She will not admit that her father is gone. So she go and visit the leader of the shark hunters. Subair said, no. No, I will not take you out to sea. I will not help you. Even though Subair is the fiercest and the leader of the shark hunters, he knows that there are places that you just don't go. Aisha walk home disappointed, not knowing what to do, and then realized that her feet has actually taken her back home to where she and her father lives instead of to her grandmother's house and there at the door was the cat the cat that she has fed for however many years the cat that refuses her advances the cat that refused to show his face whenever Aisha is close she will leave him food and she will like try to like hide and wait for the cat to approach but the cat never does because the cat knows that she's watching but now this cat is sitting right by the door and the cat opened his mouth and said you didn't bring me dinner for the last two nights and Aisha should be like shocked that this is like a talking cat, but she, she feels so bad about the whole dinner thing that she started apologizing to the cat and say, I'm so sorry. Uh, my father is lost um, at sea, we think. So I have to live with my grandmother for a while. And so I haven't been able to come and, and bring you food. I am really, really sorry. Let me get you some food now. And as she explained, the cat said, you know, I can get you passage. I can get you out to sea, but you have to be sure that that is what you want to do. If you are certain that you want to go out to sea, then come and find me tomorrow. And so Aisha sneaked out the next night in the middle of the night and went to find the cat. And the cat leads her to the beach. And there the cat lets out this longest, loudest shriek and Aisha saw that the water start bubbling and then out rises this boat that is made of fish bones. And so together they board the fish gallatin boat and out to sea they go to find their father. This 
is a fantastic sea voyage in the book called The House of Rus by Khadija Adala Bajaba. This book is the inaugural winner of the Grey Wolf Press African Prize. It is awarded to debut novels from countries in Africa. And the second winner um, is also available from the library. I brought it with me today. Is the Given Egyptian Cannot Speak English. Um, so both of them are available. Um, so please come check those out if you want to read some books from authors from other countries and expand your, your world. Khadija Adala Bahaba is from Mombasa, Kenya. She's of Hadrami descent. And in her book, House of Rust, she tackles that idea of identity and, and what it means to be part of a diaspora. And so Aisha, having the same background, is going through this sort of this coming of age story, but it adds another layer of it because she's trying to carve out a space for herself. She's trying to learn what she wants and, and have the courage to own it and to accept what she wants. But it's more difficult for her, even more difficult because of what she's been taught all throughout her life, um, what is expected of a girl, what she is supposed to do and how, and she's trying to grow Grow out of that being a girl, being a child, being what they call a fishling, being what the animals call her a monster girl weirdo. She's trying to grow out of that and accept that. But she's worried because like she doesn't think she has what it takes to go out to the sea like her father. And even from her name, Aisha, in Arabic, it means, there's two meanings to it. It either means life, like she who lives, or it means womanly. And it's this dichotomy that she has to live with. If she wants to live her life, then she might have to discard some of those womanly expectations of her because she's expected to be a bride. She's expected to say her prayers every day. She's expected to help her grandmother out. She's expected to help her father out just to go get married. That is what she's supposed to do, but she doesn't want to. And so she has to try to figure out how to reconcile those two things that is like embedded right, even in right in her name. And it is not just about defying those expectations, but it's also about recognizing that what you choose always affect other people. There are consequences and none of those choices are made in isolation. And that everybody, as the book said, must have their share. There's always a trade, there's a give and take, there's a, a, you make a sacrifice, you take a sacrifice. And it is just that how, how to figure out the differences, how to forget what is the right thing for you and to recognize that your choice may not be the right choice for other people and, and how to learn to live with that. And it's, it's a lot more, I, I, which I really, really like because it's not just about like, oh, you know, like, oh, you know, this girl who has like all the will to go against everything. It's not because she realized that this is so much more complicated than that. And I also love how the story kind of shifts in some ways because of of what um, Aisha is, shift from sort of that relationship with her father to kind of turn into that relationship with her grandmother, which is even more difficult to reconcile those differences because each of them believe that there is a right thing for the other person. And so she has to learn to be honest with that and not take the easy way out because she was offered an easy way out to very easily defy all the traditions, but she didn't take that. And it was just this is a really, really heartfelt story. And of course, like on top of this really great sort of coming of age story, there's so many strange and enchanting creatures that you're going to meet in this book. You know, of course, there's the talking cat for Mark. There's the rebellious crows for Fiona. 
There's got Levivans. It's got like this uh, creature called Baba Wapapa, which is the father of the sharks, this terrifying monsters. And um, and where's Corinne when we when I want to tell her that there is floating eyeballs in the sea that is going to eat you up right from the inside. They are like kind of parasitic and they get into you and they'll be like a leech. And of course, there's snake demons. There's just so many great, great creatures. So wonderful. But I think the best thing of this book is the gorgeous sentences. It is amazing. I don't know how this debut author can pack so much in a few words. Every sentence is something that you should chew on and that it just conjures up such vivid imagery. And as Charlie Jane Anders said on the back of the book, and I listen to every single thing Charlie Jane Anders said, that you just want to lose yourself forever in the dark spaces of her prose. It's just such a wonderful book. So I hope you will consider hopping on board with Aisha and her talking cat in The House of Rust by Khadija Adala Bajada. Thank you so much, Virginia. Uh, yeah, I was on board with the talking cat. And now that I know there's crows too, too awesome. <laughs> I will definitely be picking that up. Um, I think we're going to change gears now and move into our question. Uh, and as usual, I have a very kind of vague question, a vague, multifaceted question. Number one, I would like to know whether you can swim. Number two, I would like to know how you feel about the ocean. And optional number three, if you want to tell us your opinions about boats, you may. I know Mark has some strong feelings about sizes of boats. Well, I guess I'll start then. So uh, I can swim. When it comes to the ocean, I've never actually like gone across the ocean, like in a boat or anything like that, because I probably would not want to go that long. Like I'm not a cruise ship person or like one of those long kind of tours or things. I'd rather be on like a very short kind of voyage. It's not going to be like crossing the Atlantic or something like that. So the ocean is just, well, it's a thing. It's there. I have no, no real interest in crossing it or delving into it all that much. And then what was the third one again? Sorry. Uh, um, sizes of boats. I think you had some opinions about small boats in particular. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming this referring back to the ferries and the lifeboats sort of thing that happened before. I don't even quite remember exactly how it, this went because it was just like an argument with Kareen is all I really remember at this point. When you said yesterday that you do not like kayaks, you do not like those small ones, right, Mark? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like the like the lifeboat sort of like little tiny things where it's just like you're there by yourself and you could follow it in any second. Those ones don't make any sense to me. Like I, it makes sense why people had them, why they're designed like that and why they like they're used for certain purposes, but I have no use for those purposes. So I just avoid them. I, I entirely agree. I, I cannot swim. So uh, water is frightening to me. I always have recurring nightmares about like, you know, somehow I drive off the bridge and I'm stuck in a car <laughs> and, I'm in and I'm just like always looking up like, what do you do? Are you supposed to like kick open the windows? Like, like what are you supposed to do? Like, you know, I, I have nightmares about that. Um, but yeah, so I, I totally agree. Like, you know, kayak, canoe feels really scary because you're so close to the water, like no, thank you. Um, I will take a ferry to Victoria. Like maybe that's about how far I would go. Um, but just like Mark, um, you know, cruise ship, no, thank you. Um, when you're stuck out there with like nowhere to go, no, definitely no. Um, and what doesn't help that like my my husband was just recently read a book about like cruise ship during COVID. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> terrifying. So yeah, no, absolutely no cruise ship. Um, and yeah, so I I guess, but I would give I have to choose like. Bigger boat, better than smaller boat. 
definitely. It just feels maybe safer. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. Fiona, is this safer? Not necessarily, I guess, because that wasn't the Titanic like the largest boat ever or something, and then it sank. Okay, so just no boat then. <laughs> no boat. No boat. Change my mind. No boats. Just safer on the land. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm a maritimer, so I love the ocean. I love I love the food that comes from the ocean. I love the waves. I do. I have a strong positive feelings about boats. Any size. Yeah, I think I'm pretty much just pro-ocean, but I do have a, a BC grievance about the like strait here. And like, I just, I miss my waves. Like you, you, you got to go over to the island to like Long Beach if you want to get the waves in BC. And that makes me really sad because I like to swim and play in the waves. So <laughs> miss my maritime roots. All right. Thank you for sharing those opinions. Um, yeah, it's always a nice reminder of, you know, not only does everybody have different book opinions and, you know, what makes a good book, but we all have pretty different everything opinion, opinions like. as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. When, the time we all agree on something, we'll know that the world is coming to an end. Right? I don't know. Can we agree? I, I don't know. I don't think there is a thing. Unless it's... um. Interior Chinatown. That's it. Thank you. Which Mark have you read yet? Okay, so Mark has... So we don't know that That's yet. That's true. Now. I feel like Mark will appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I feel like too, yeah. Because that's the <laughs> book that like Fiona, myself, Corinne, uh, Liz, and Sadie, all five of us actually think is like great, which never, ever happens. So Mark, we need to get you on that. <laughs> don't ruin it. Oh, don't yeah. ruin it. That is a little sorry that we invited that the possibility of ruining. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to move on to my book because uh, I don't want to end with it. <laughs> um, because it's it's sort of one of those like um, recommended with, with caveats. I started so many books for this one. Like I started like four different books. Couldn't find what I was looking for because I I knew I wanted a historical fiction. Like I said, I like ships, but really I like like wind-powered ships <laughs> yeah i want that like that that smell of the rope and the like the lacquer and all of that uh, and i wanted a book that was going to kind of bring me that and and i found that but i was also kind of hoping for you know maybe not like a british isles war perspective and that is what i got <laughs> so my book is about a midshipman He's 17 years of age and he has lost both his parents and he grew up uh, in the care of a minister and his wife. And he doesn't really have any friends or anything to speak of. When he joins the crew of the Justinian, they all kind of make fun of him because 17 is really late to be to be joining the Navy. It's like, oh man, you should have been doing this from 13, like 17. Like, yeah, good luck. And on top of that, the Justinian is very dysfunctional due to a higher-ranking officer who puts everyone through horrible bullying and violence. So at this point, uh, our midshipman is is very depressed and actually thinks about ways that he could end his life. He decides that he is going to challenge this problematic officer to a duel because either he'll die or the officer will die and either way it's going to be better. 
However, when you are the aggrieved party in a duel, you get to choose the circumstances. So he decides that one gun will be loaded and the other will not, ensuring the outcome of one of them dying and the other one living. So this is the beginning of our episodic tale of Mr. Midshipman Horatio Hornblower by C.S. Forrester. This was a book that was, uh, this one in particular was written in the 1950s. And what I didn't realize is that it's actually a prequel to the, to the 1937 book. Once I realized that, it made a little bit more sense. We were going back to sort of see this figure, Horatio Hornblower, in his youth as he's kind of becoming who he is. And he's this, he's a little bit, he's really good at math. He's uh, not very good at socializing. Something that I actually found kind of like sad and frustrating throughout the book is that he he never makes any friends. So it's very much about him. And we don't get a lot of side characters. Like when we do, they're sort of like temporary for that tale. And then we move on. So I am interested to read the original book that comes after this one to see if we do get a little bit more of a like a crew feel. And of course, this was popularized by the television show. So I'm probably going to watch that as well because I've heard heard some really good things about it. So this book takes place in uh, 1794, which is past the the golden age of pirates, and it's during the Napoleonic War. I don't know anything about the Napoleonic War, so I did appreciate it in that aspect of kind of like what what this book really does well is it gives you a vibe, <laughs> like you you uh, it's like an ambiance book, and I know that a lot of other people may crave that sort of that seafarer ambiance, so I would I would definitely recommend it for that, and like I said, it's something I've been tr- trying to find something modern to kind of match it, like a historical fiction that might be better balanced than this. So definitely keeping my eyes out for that, but I don't think that this was a bad place to start. However, it was very upsetting at points. It's set in the 18th century. It's written in the 50s and it features enslaved people that are given a sentence at most. So there's a galley that is, so my understanding, I did, I learned a lot about chips, maybe, slash also kind of, you know, when they're just like saying all these things like poop deck and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you just miss an entire like paragraph where you're like, well, I didn't catch any of that. Um, but I'm, a galley, I believe, is one that has sails, but it also has oars. Um, so there's, you know, there's a story where they go up against a galley. And of course, these oars are all pulled by enslaved people. And it it was very upsetting to have them be so treated as so inhuman and then you get the flip side of the the like w- rules of war where when they take a prisoner if they're an officer they're like given steak dinners and they're just kind of like hanging out there until somebody trades for them and to really like it really showed the class and also racial divides which I guess was enlightening, but the fact that there was no like a criticism or like taking that apart was like a little bit shocking and why I would definitely want to also find something modern to like read against it at the same time. So uh, I know we usually do the recommending, but um, if anyone finds something like that, I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to, to adding to that. And like I say, um, it creates this great like kind of 
ambiance, which is is what I was looking for. And so now that I know what a galley is, very much looking forward to like in continuing to increase my the sea voyage vocabulary so that uh, when I pick up a like Clive Cussler or whatever, I know exactly what they're talking about. So that was Mr. Midshipman Hornblower, the prequel to C.S. Forrester's Horatio Hornblower series. Maybe check it out with caveats. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to Mark. I'm very excited to see what you picked today. I'll just wait for Fiona to read all of the Patrick O'Brien Master and Commanders now. Because there's, there's a lot of those. And I very much got a Master Commander kind of vibe when you were talking just now. Yeah, that was actually the other one I was thinking about reading. But I think it's like a, it's like a, a real um, big book, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like 20-something books long. So if you get into it, you're going to like never escape. So the book I'll be talking about today is a very decidedly not modern story, as Fiona sort of indicated earlier on. So I'll be talking about the Vinland Sagas, which is authored by an unknown author who has been lost to history, who exactly wrote these two stories. Just to give a little bit of background on the Icelandic saga, sort of as like a genre, because it's a genre many people may not have encountered before. So I just want to say a little bit about that. Many of these stories originally date from a period of roughly 900 to 1100, almost like a millennium ago, pretty much. Some of these stories are from the Vinland sagas themselves are arguably the most well-known and historically debated of the sagas as to the degree of accuracy to fact and what portion of them should be considered fiction. Many of these sagas focus on the deeds of rulers or other warriors, but the Vinland sagas sort of fall within a genre called the family sagas because the stories have a great deal of genealogical information about the characters, their ancestors, their descendants, and their family relations within the villages or towns that they live in. A final aspect that's worth knowing about the sagas is that in general, is that many of them were originally told orally and passed down across the generations. And it was only many generations later after they originated that they were written down in the form that we now sort of read in books and things like that. Uh, the Finland sagas themselves are also actually two different versions of the same story that were written down in seemingly independent context, though we no longer know who wrote them. It's also worth noting that depending on the edition of the book that you get, like this is a rather old Penguin Classics edition, the newer editions have more updated historical and archaeological information included within them. So there's like an introductory essay from a historian within the sagas themselves. There's also a lot of footnotes about archaeological digs that later found certain things or call into question certain details of the stories. So if you're sort of into that kind of aspect of like the academic kind of analysis of the text and how accurate or inaccurate some aspects of it may be, then you may also find that kind of interesting. And if that's the case, you might want to try and track down the newer copy. Like uh, The written versions of these stories are believed to have originated in the 13th century, whereas the actual events occurred approximately between 970 and 1030. So very much like about 200 to 300 years after the fact they were first written down after being told orally throughout many generations. In the first version, we're presented with the family history and descendants of the first known sailing across the northern from Northern Europe across the North Atlantic to what is now known as Canada, or more exactly, approximately sort of around Newfoundland and Labrador. So this is the tale of the 
sailings from Iceland or Greenland, I should say, actually. The, many of the people are from Iceland. They then emigrate to Greenland and then eventually cross the North Atlantic towards Canada. So in the first version of the story, we're introduced to Leif Erikson via his father, Eric the Red, as his family has a particular history of seafaring, as they are also credited with being the first Icelanders to sail to Greenland and for giving it the name Greenland. Is believed that they sort of coined that name originally. As Eric the Red remarks in the book, he wanted to give it an appealing name so people would want to go there from Iceland. Because <laughs> Greenland was very much known for its forests compared to Iceland's more, I guess we should say, icy locales at the time. As Leif sort of goes on a voyage of his own, he sort of comes across North America by happenstance, more or less. He's actually looking for Ireland and sort of like the areas around there, but sort of drifts further off to the west and eventually lands towards was Newfoundland and Labrador. There's also a recounting of a second voyage led to the country that they refer to as Vinland, which is what Leif Erikson named the country after the vines of grapes that they found. This was particularly prized. They thought that was like a particularly characteristic aspect of the land. So they refer to it as Vinland, which is how the, of course, how the sagas get the name, the Vinland sagas. We also learn of Thorfinn Karl Sefni and his wife Guldred, who later also traveled to the settlement that Leif had made in a little village along the coast. And there's also a recounting of a third voyage of Leif's sister, Freydis, who is also the daughter of Eric, and a pair of brothers who are partners in the voyage, but lead to a bloody battle between the two factions as they sort of come with their own little schemes on how to make a profit of their little endeavor towards Vinland. These three voyages make up the bulk of the first version of the story. It's also worth noting that the second version, the voyage of Freydis, is not mentioned at all. It's almost sort of like been omitted from the record, perhaps due to its uh, bloody outcomes. <laughs> and also a noticeable difference in the second version is in Thorfinn's journey. There's a much more detailed information about the coast, the travels itself, and so things like that. So there's a lot more of the historical kind of details of the actual voyage in the second version of the saga, whereas the first saga focuses much more on the particular characters. And the second version also has a much more stronger recounting of the actual indigenous people, because in both versions of the story, there are tales of contact with indigenous people and how it eventually devolved into conflict. It, both stories sort of tell the tale as being originally one of trade, confused coexistence because neither of them knew the language. They didn't have a particularly strong connection to each other. But the actual later breaking out of conflict between the two groups is very vague. Overall, it sort of seems to have devolved around trading for weapons, but only having one side of the story from the European sort of perspective was kind of different in this context, even though it was written much before colonization. But just the fact there's only the one side of that tale can sort of have a different feeling now from a modern sort of perspective, how the indigenous people are sort of portrayed as being very different from the Icelanders. It's very much a kind of questionable relationship between the two as how it later becomes one of conflict and murder, essentially. Each of these tales recounts how they also later went back to Vinland. They abandoned their settlements. They no longer endeavored to return to Vinland. And that sort of aspect remains kind of clouded in mystery and of the history because the sagas themselves don't really provide an answer as to why the Greenlanders or Icelanders never returned to Eastern Canada or to try and once again engage with the indigenous people of the area. 
Um, it's sort of been lost to history as to why they never returned back. So if you sort of don't mind a kind of like open-ended ending where it sort of focuses much more on the descendants of these voyagers and their lives back in Greenland and Iceland towards the latter stages of the story. But at the same time, you may also enjoy the sort of historical aspects. And as that's very much speculated on as to why they did not return, why they didn't pursue that voyage once again. And I'm sure there's also indigenous histories of the encounters and things like that, that I've been interested in learning more about because I've heard of this these tales before, but I've never really heard anything about the indigenous side of the story. So to try and find something like that would probably be interesting to find in the future. I'll also note that this is a very short story. There's like there's two versions of the story plus a historical essay and like references and things like that. So it's a very quick read because the sagas are sort of known for very quickly skipping around. You may be in one season in one paragraph and the very next paragraph you're in fall from summer to the next year. They're very compact in their prose, very compact in the, the nerve itself. They only focus on the very uh, essential details. A lot of the wider kind of scope of like the context and things like that are kind of omitted, perhaps because at the time they thought readers would know these details or that they just weren't particularly important. But that's kind of also a aspect of the story. So if you'd like it to move along at a very quick pace, then you may also really enjoy this. Or if you just want to hear a seafaring tale that's partly based in reality, but may also be partly fictitious or may be more or less fictitious, it's kind of hard to uh, to know because many of the aspects have been lost to history. But if you're also into archaeology or that kind of aspect of things, then you may also enjoy the Vinland sagas. And there's also a, a manga series that's based on this that's like totally one like 99.9% different, but it's also very good. So you should read that too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Yeah, I, this is a sounds like a great book for those of us who love history and and, you know, like a, a little bit of a, a primary source. Not not exactly. I know it's written 200 years later, but but that sort of like feeling of really getting to go back in the past. So thank you for sharing that. And I will definitely be checking out the manga as well. That sounds like a, a slam dunk. <laughs> Um, before we say goodbye today, I just wanted to give another shout out to Clash of Steel by C.B. Lee, which I read for a few episodes ago. I think um, before coming into this episode, I didn't appreciate um, that book enough of like recognizing that it's, you know, it's a fiction, um, but it reclaims a seafaring tale for women, people of color, and queer people. And it's something that, again, I was really struck by in, in trying to find a book for today of how dominated books in English are by this sort of um, British Isles, and especially like sort of like war, war tales. So uh, yeah, a big shout out to Clash of Steel, a retelling of treasure island <laughs> thank you so much today for joining us on this voyage i am gonna go eat some lobster and dream about swimming in the ocean and mark and virginia can stay safe and sound on their land <laughs> we'll see you next time bye thank you for listening if you like our show please tell a fellow book lover about it you can find a list of all the books we discussed in our show notes Join us next week for another fun book chat. Until then, keep it fictional. Mm -hmm.